Chapters thirteen and fourteen of Adrift in New York. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. Adrift in New York by Horatio Alger Jr. Chapter thirteen. Tim Bolton's Saloon. Not far from Houston Street, on the west side of the Bowery, is an underground saloon with whose proprietor we are already acquainted. It was kept by Tim Bolton, whose peculiar tastes and shady characteristics well fitted him for such a business. It was early evening, and the gas jets lighted up a characteristic scene. On the sanded floor were set several tables, around which were seated a motley company, all of them with glasses of beer or whiskey before them. Tim, with a white apron on, was moving about behind the bar, ministering to the wants of his patrons. There was a scowl upon his face, for he was not fond of work, and he missed Dodger's assistance. The boy understood the business of mixing drinks as well as he, and often officiated for hours at a time, thus giving his guardian and reputed father a chance to leave the place and meet outside engagements. A tall, erect gentleman entered the saloon and walked up to the bar. Good evening, Colonel, said Tim. Good evening, sir, said the newcomer, with a stately inclination of the head. He was really a colonel, having served in the Civil War at the head of a Georgia regiment. He had all the stately courtesy of a southern gentleman, though not above the weakness of a frequent indulgence in the strongest fluids dispensed by Tim Bolton. What'll you have, Colonel? Whiskey straight, sir. It's the only drink fit for a gentleman. Will you join me, Mr. Bolton? Of course I will, said Tim, as, pouring out a glass for himself, he handed the bottle to the Colonel. Your health, sir, said the Colonel, bowing. Same to you, Colonel, responded Tim, with a nod. Where's the boy? Colonel Martin had always taken considerable notice of Dodger, being naturally fond of boys, and having once had a son of his own, who was killed in a railroad accident when about Dodger's age. Danged if I know, answered Tim, crossly. He hasn't left you, has he? Yes, he's cleared out, the ungrateful young imp. I'd like to lay my hands on the young rascal. Was he your son? He was my stepson, answered Tim, hesitating. I see, you married his mother. Yes, said Tim, considering the explanation satisfactory, and resolved to adopt it. I've always treated him as if he was my own flesh and blood, and I've raised him from a young kid. Now he's gone and left me. Can you think of any reason for his leaving you? Not one. I always treated him well. He's been a great expense to me, and now he's got old enough to help me, he must clear out. He's the most ungrateful cub I ever seen. I am sorry he has gone. I used to like to have him serve me. And now what's the consequence? Here I am tied down to the bar day and night. Can't you get someone in his place? Yes, but I'd likely be robbed. I had a bartender once who robbed me of two or three dollars a day. But you trusted the boy? Yes, Dodger wouldn't steal. I can say that much for him. There's one thing I noticed about the boy, said the colonel reflectively. He wouldn't drink. More than once I have asked him to drink with me. But he would always say, Thank you, colonel, but I don't like whiskey. I never asked him to take anything else, for whiskey's the only drink fit for a gentleman. Do you expect to get the boy back? If I could only get out for a day, I'd hunt him up. But I'm tied down here. I seed him yesterday, Tim, said a red-nosed man, who had just entered the saloon, in company with a friend of the same general appearance. Both wore silk hats, dented and soiled with stains of dirt, coats long since superannuated, and wore the general look of barroom loafers. They seldom had any money, but lay in wait for any liberal stranger, 
in the hope of securing a free drink. "'Where did you see him, Hooker?' asked Tim Bolton, with sudden interest. "'Selling papers down by the Astor House.' "'Think of that, Colonel,' said Tim, disgusted, "'becoming a common newsboy, when he might be in genteel employment. "'Did you speak to him, Hooker?' "'Yes, I asked him if he had left you.' "'What did he say?' "'That he had left you for good, that he was going to grow up respectable.' "'Think of that,' said Tim, with renewed disgust. "'Did he say where he lived?' "'No.' "'Did he ask after me?' "'No, except that he said you were no relation of his. "'He said he expected you stole him when he was a kid, "'and he hoped some time to find his relations.' "'Tim Bolton's face changed colour, and he was evidently disturbed. "'Could the boy have heard anything?' he wondered, "'for his suspicions were very near the truth.' "'It's all nonsense,' he said roughly. "'Next time you see him, Hooker, follow him home, and find out where he lives.' "'All right, Tim. It ought to be worth something,' he insinuated, with a husky cough. "'That's so. What'll you take?' "'Whiskey,' answered Hooker, with a look of pleased anticipation. "'You're a gentleman, Tim,' he said, as he gulped down the contents of a glass without winking. Briggs, his dilapidated companion, had been looking on in thirsty envy. "'I'll help Hooker to look for Dodger,' he said. "'Very well, Briggs.' "'Couldn't you stand a glass for me, too, Tim?' asked Briggs, eagerly. "'No,' answered Bolton irritably. "'I've been at enough expense for that young rascal already.' But the colonel noticed the pathetic look of disappointment on the face of Briggs, and he was stirred to compassion. "'Drink with me, sir,' he said, turning to the overjoyed Briggs. "'Thank you, Colonel. You're a gentleman.' Two glasses, Tim.' So the colonel drained a second glass— and Briggs, pouring out with trembling fingers as much as he dared, followed suit. When the last drop was drunk, he breathed a deep sigh of measureless enjoyment. "'If either of you bring that boy in here,' said Tim, "'I'll stand a couple of glasses for both.' "'We're your men, Tim,' said Hooker. "'Ain't we, Briggs?' "'That's so, Hooker. Shake.' And the poor victims of drink shook hands energetically. Long since they had sunk their manhood in the intoxicating cup, and henceforth lived only to gratify their unnatural craving, for what would sooner or later bring them to a drunkard's grave. As they left the saloon, the colonel turned to Tim and said, "'I like whiskey, sir, but I'll be hanged if I can respect such men as those.' "'They're bums, colonel. That's what they are.' "'How do they live?' "'Don't know. They're in here about every day.' If it's drink that brought them where they are, I'm half inclined to give it up. But after all, it isn't necessary to make a beast of yourself. I always drink like a gentleman, sir. So you do, Colonel. At that moment a poor woman, in a faded calico dress, with a thin shawl over her shoulders, descended the steps that led into the saloon, and walked up to the bar. "'Has my husband been here to-night?' she asked. Tim Bolton frowned. "'Who's your husband?' he asked, roughly. "'Wilson.' "'No, Bill Wilson hasn't been here to-night. "'Even if he had, you have no business to come after him. "'I don't want any sniveling woman here.' "'I couldn't help it, Mr. Bolton,' said the woman, "'putting her apron to her eyes. "'If Bill comes, won't you tell him to come home? "'The baby's dead, and we haven't a cent in the house.' "'Even Tim was moved by this. "'I'll tell him,' he said. "'Take a drink yourself. You don't look strong. "'It shan't cost you a cent.' "'No,' said the woman. "'Not a drop.' "'It has ruined my happiness, and broken up our home. Not a drop.' "'Here, my good lady,' said the colonel, with chivalrous deference. "'You have no money. Take this.' And he handed the astonished woman a five-dollar bill. "'Heaven bless you, sir,' she exclaimed fervently. "'Allow me to see you to the street. 
and the gallant southern gentleman escorted her up the sidewalk. "'I'd like to horsewhip that woman's husband. Don't you sell him another drop,' he said when he returned. Chapter 14. The Missing Will An hour after the depart of the colonel, there was an unexpected arrival. A well-dressed gentleman descended the stairs gingerly, looked about him with fastidious disdain, and walked up to the bar. Tim Bolton was filling an order, and did not immediately observe him. When at length he turned around, he exclaimed in some surprise, "'Mr. Waring!' "'Yes, Bolton, I have found my way here. "'I have been expecting you. "'I come to you for some information. "'Well, ask your questions. "'I don't know whether I can answer them. First, where is my cousin Florence?' "'How should I know? "'She wasn't likely to place herself under my protection. "'She's with that boy of yours, Dodger, I believe you call him. "'Where is he?' "'Run away,' answered Bolton, briefly. "'Do you mean that you don't know where he is?' "'Yes, I do mean that.' I haven't set my eyes on him since that night. What do you mean by such negligence? Do you remember who he is? Certainly I do. Then why do you let him get out of your reach? How could I help it? Here I am tied down to this bar day and night. I'm nearly dead for want of sleep. It would be better to close up your place for a week and look after him. Couldn't do it. I should lose all my trade. People would say I was closed up. And have you done nothing toward his recovery? "'Yes, I have sent out two men in search of him. "'Have you any idea where he is, or what he is doing?' "'Yes, he has been seen in front of the Astor House, selling papers. "'I have authorized my agent, if he sees him again, "'to follow him home, and find out where he lives.' "'That is good. Astor House. I may see him myself. "'But why do you want to see him? "'Do you want to restore him to his rights?' "'Hush,' said Curtis, glancing around him apprehensively. What we say may be overheard, and excite suspicion. One thing may be secured by finding him, the knowledge of Florence's whereabouts. What makes you think she and the boy are together? He came for her trunk. I was away from home, or I would not have let it go. It is strange that they two are together, considering their relationship. That is what I am afraid they will find out. She may tell him of the mysterious disappearance of her cousin, and he— That reminds me, interrupted Bolton. He told Hooker— Hooker was a man that saw him in front of the Astor House, that he didn't believe I was his father. He said he thought I must have stolen him when he was a young kid. "'Did he say that?' asked Curtis, in evident alarm. "'Yes, so Hooker says.' "'If he has that idea in his head, he may put two and two together, and guess that he is the long-lost cousin of Florence. Tim, the boy must be got rid of.' "'If you mean what I think you do, Mr. Waring, I'm not with you.' I won't consent to harm the boy. You said that before. I don't mean anything that will shock your tender heart, Bolton, said Curtis with a sneer. I mean carried to a distance, Europe or Australia, for instance. All I want is to keep him out of New York till my uncle is dead. After that, I don't care what becomes of him. That's better. I've no objection to that. How is the old gentleman? He grieved so much at first over the girl's loss that I feared he would insist on her being recalled at once. I soothed him by telling him that he had only to remain firm, and she would come around, and yield to his wishes. "'Do you think she will?' asked Tim, doubtfully. "'I intend she shall,' said Curtis, significantly. "'Bolton, I love the girl all the more for her obstinate refusal to wed me. I have made up my mind to marry her, with her consent, or without it.' "'I thought it was only the estate you were after.' "'I want the estate, and her with it. Mark my words, Bolton, I will have both.' "'You will have the estate, no doubt. 
Mr. Linden has made his will in your favor, has he not? And Bolton looked intently in the face of his visitor. Hark you, Bolton, there is a mystery I cannot fathom. My uncle made two wills. In the earlier, he left the estate to Florence and myself, if we married. Otherwise, to me alone. That is satisfactory. Yes, but there was another, in which the estate goes to the son, if living. That will has disappeared. Is it possible? asked Bolton, in astonishment. When was it missed? On the night of the burglary. Then you think? That the boy, Dodger, has it. Good heavens! If he only knew that by this will the estate goes to him! And Waring wiped the perspiration from his brow. You are sure he did not give you the will? he demanded, eyeing Bolton sharply. I have not seen him since the night of the robbery. If he has read the will, it may lead to dangerous suspicions. He would give it to your cousin, Florence, would he not? Perhaps so. Bolton, you must get the boy back, and take the will from him, if you can. I will do my best, but you must remember that Dodger is no longer a small kid. He is a boy of eighteen, strong and well-grown. He wouldn't be easy to manage. Besides, as long as he doesn't know that he has any interest in the will, his holding it won't do any harm. Is the old gentleman likely to live long? I don't know. I sometimes hope— Pshaw! Why should I play the hypocrite when speaking to you? Surely it is no sin to wish him better off, since he can't enjoy life. He might if Florence and his son were restored to him. What do you mean, Bolton? asked Curtis, suspiciously. What could I mean? It merely occurred to me, said Bolton, innocently. You say he is quiet, thinking the girl will come around. Yes. Suppose time passes and she doesn't. Won't he try to find her? As she is in the city, that won't be hard. I shall represent that she has left the city. For any particular point? No, that is not necessary. And then? If he worries himself into the grave, so much the better for me. There is no halfway about you, Mr. Curtis Waring. Why should there be? Listen, Bolton, I have set my all on this cast. I am now thirty-six, and still I am dependent upon my uncle's bounty. I am in debt, and some of my creditors are disposed to trouble me. My uncle is worth, I don't know how much, but I think half a million. What does he get out of it? Food and clothes, but not happiness. If it were mine, all the avenues of enjoyment would be open to me. That estate I must have. Suppose you get it. What is there for me? asked Bolton. I will see that you are recompensed if you help me to it. Will you put that in writing? Do you take me for a fool? To put it in writing would be to place me in your power. You can trust me. Well, perhaps so, said Tim Bolton, slowly. At any rate, you will have to. Well, good night. I will see you again. In the meantime, try to find the boy. Tim Bolton followed him with his eyes, as he left the saloon. What would he say, said Bolton to himself, if he knew that the will he so much wishes to find is in my hands, and that I hold him in my power already? End of chapters 13 and 14